0: There we go. Good morning, Hillcrest Baptist. Lovely to see a full church um, on this Lord's Day. You can just bring up the presentation. Okay. So, in the evening services, I've started a series um, on spiritual paradoxes, and I'm wanting to work through the series. So, I know it's a morning service. Um, and you're not familiar with what a paradox is, I'm going to give a few slides of introduction. I'm also doing, you'll see there, it's called a meditation. So in the evening services, I do a meditation, usually when I preach. It's a bit of a different format to a sermon, and Bra mentioned that a few of you don't uh, attend the evening services, so you're not aware of that. So I'm just going to give you a few slides of introduction, and then we're going to jump in. To a meditation on Romans 6, verses 22 to 23, entitled Freedom from Slavery, Freedom Through Slavery um, Spiritual Paradoxes for Christian Growth. So, just a word about biblical meditation. What I do is we focus on a short passage, and I have the passage up in front of us all the time, where we just slow down. And we focus our hearts and minds on that passage and we contemplate and we consider it. Biblical meditation has got to do with turning a verse over and over in your mind and in your thoughts, reading it, rereading it, until you are gripped by the passage. And so there is some repetition inherent in biblical meditation. The picture often given of biblical meditation is like chewing the cud, What a cow does, and he goes over and over, chewing the cud. Okay, so this is a series on spiritual paradoxes. So what is a paradox? Well, in everyday language, a paradox is a statement that seems absurd or contradictory on the surface. But when understood properly, it may prove to be true and in fact profound. So that's generally speaking what a paradox is. It's something that seems contradictory and absurd, but it holds it can hold great truth. So why do we find spiritual paradoxes in the Bible? Well, a paradox is the way of grabbing our attention, isn't it? We, and it makes us more think, think more deeply about a particular passage. So we come to a passage. And it just seems absurd or paradoxical, and so it grabs our attention, and we need to spend a bit more time into it. in it. So they do fascinate us, they engage our mind. So paradoxes are in fact ideal for Christian meditation, because we need to turn it over in our mind. Another reason why Bible has, does have paradoxes is because spiritual paradoxes are counterintuitive. And they contrary to the world's wisdom often. And so they demand from us a decision of faith. Are we going to trust the Bible and obey Jesus? And so that is why we do find spiritual paradoxes in the Bible. So that's by way of introduction. And let's get into our text this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. Let's read it together. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Now plead with you for the assistance of your Holy Spirit to focus our hearts and minds on this passage, your very word. Help us to give attention to your word. It is the very word of God. Would you open our hearts and minds to understand and to receive what you are saying? us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read it again. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, hands up. Who wants to be a slave? Okay, I'm glad nobody put up their hands. Hardly anybody wants to be a slave. In fact, no one wants to be a slave. I don't know of any child who tells their parents, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. No, we don't want to be a slave. In fact, everybody in this world cherishes freedom. They will, in fact, choose hardship and suffering instead of slavery. Nations will go to war, and men and women will fight in wars and even be prepared to die to secure their freedom from another king or another nation. And so the text introduces us to a concept of becoming a slave of God. And to the modern mind, how can any form of slavery, even to God, how can it be good, how can it be joyful, and how can it remotely even be positive? And so we need to come to grips with this spiritual paradox of becoming slaves to God. Four headings this morning. The first one is we're going to look at the text and we're just going to clearly identify the paradox, and that there is a paradox. So we start there. Verse 21 Having been set free from sin, it contemplates the fact that we are in bondage to sin and that we need to be set free from sin. So that is obviously very positive. And attractive, any form of freedom, we buy into that. So here is the promise of being set free from sin. And the text is heading towards that wonderful expression of eternal life. Having been set free from sin, and here is that eternal life that people are looking for. Eternal life is the ultimate form of freedom, isn't it? Free from sin free from death, free from suffering. So we would expect that perhaps the text would have said, but now having been set free from sin, you have everlasting life. But it doesn't. There's something in between from being set free from sin and from attaining everlasting life. And there it is. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. The process of being set free from sin includes slavery to God. And the process of attaining everlasting life includes becoming a slave of God you look at the language carefully, having been set free from sin and having become, it seems that the process is the same, that as we are set free from sin, we then become slaves of God. It's the same process. So we could say that the process of being set free from sin and achieving our ultimate freedom, eternal life, comes through slavery comes through becoming a slave of God. And here's the paradox. So how can becoming free and achieving our ultimate freedom, how can that come through a process where we become enslaved to God? Are we not just swapping one form of bondage and slavery for another? It seems contradictory, and it is indeed a paradox. So there is the paradox in this verse that we achieve freedom through slavery, becoming a slave of God. Heading number two. Let's, let's understand this paradox now. So now you need to concentrate, and we're going to just explain the paradox under two headings the curse of slavery to sin and the blessing of slavery to God. Let's have a look at the first subheading, the curse of slavery to sin. So the verse starts off with those two words, but now. In other words, for believers, there in fact has been a big change, but now something has happened. And we can see what has happened. We have been set free from sin. So it assumes that we were slaves of sin, and if you read the preceding verses in Romans chapter 6, you would see that it speaks about us being slaves of sin. In fact, everybody born into this world is born as a slave of sin, under bondage to sin, the curse and slavery of sin. So, what happens if you are not set free from sin? If you are not set free from sin and liberated from it, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The picture here is that sin is your master, you are enslaved to it, and it is a cruel master. Because that master is going to give you payment, and that payment, the wages of sin, is death. Now, within the context of this verse, that is eternal death, because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the contrast is between eternal life and eternal death. I'm a council employee, and we always get excited when we get our payslip at the end of the month. I'm not sure if you do, and you open it up, and you check what your payment is. Imagine at the end of one month, you read the bottom line of your payslip, and this month, you're going to get paid in eternal death. That's not a great payslip to receive. If sin is your master, and you are enslaved to it, you need to understand that that master is going to one day give you a pay slip, and that pay slip is going to say, "Eternal death." And that is how he's going to pay, pay you. So that's why the subheading is the curse of slavery to sin, because that's where you end up, and that's what you receive if you remain. A slave of sin, and you are not set free by it. We're moving through it quite quickly. The second subheading, the blessing of slavery to God. We asked the question right at the beginning, so how can any form of slavery be good? The blessing of slavery to God. And so here's that expression, and having become slaves of God. And we need to come to terms with the fact that believers become slaves of God. There is is no escaping the curse of sin without becoming a slave of God. And we need to understand this. And I just want to make four points as we, we understand the blessings of slavery to God. The first point, the first blessing of being a slave to God is that when you become a slave to God, you are set free from sin. Now, in the Roman world, when you were a slave, you only had one master at a time. You could be given to another master. You couldn't have two masters at the same time because then who would you Obey By definition, when you go and obey the one master, you're not the other master's slave. So you, you, in the Roman world, you could not be owned by two masters. So when you become a slave of God, he becomes your master and he alone is your master. He releases you from your previous master, which is sin, so that you are no longer owned by sin. And the rights that sin had over you are canceled. God now rules over you and he cancels the slavery to sin and he liberates you then from the power of sin. That is the first blessing of being a slave of God is that he becomes your master and he cancels The power and rights of our previous master, which was sin. Do you notice that this assumes that we are always ruled by someone? We are always ruled by someone. Contrary to popular belief in the world, we are not autonomous beings. We are not self-existent, and we did not create ourselves. Somebody made us. There was a point in time where we did not exist. Adam and Eve were under God's loving rule, and Satan said to them, Why don't you disobey God? You will then, what will happen to you? What did he promise? You'll become free. You'll become like God. And what happened to them? They became enslaved to sin and came under the power of Satan. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were ruled by God. They tried to escape that rule, and all they found was that they became enslaved to sin and come under the power of Satan. As you and I sit here this morning, we are not masters of our own destiny, and we are not autonomous. You might feel like you are free, but you are not. You are either a slave of sin or you are a slave of God. But you are under a master and I am under a master. As we are born into this world, we inherit sin and guilt from Adam and Eve and we are born under slave as our master and we have got that prospect of eternal death Sin is going to pay us one day with eternal death. And the only way to escape from slavery to sin is by becoming a slave of God. God purchases you, you become his slave, he is your master, and he cancels the power and rights that sin had over you. And so slavery to God is the only way for you and me to be set free from sin. The second blessing is that now that we are slaves of God, we are not going to get paid by sin. Sin is no longer our master, so the wages of sin, eternal death, is no longer ours. God cancels that, and we come under his rule. Sin is no longer our master and so sin is no longer going to pay us those wages of eternal death. The third blessing. When we become slaves of God, the verse says, You have your fruit to holiness. And here in this portion of the text, we see exactly what the expression slaves of God really means. Now, in the Roman times, when you were a slave to a master, that meant two things, ownership and control. So in the Roman world, you were a slave, you had a master, you belonged to the slave, you were essentially his asset or his property, and he owned you. And you could essentially do whatever you wanted to your slave in the Roman world. Not only that, control. The master controlled you. As a slave, you did not join a union. And if you didn't like what the master did to you, you go to the union and shop steward, hello, please help me. Nothing like that at all. The master had complete control over you to make you do whatever he wanted you to do. Ownership and control. So look what it means when we become slaves of God. What it means is that we come under the ownership and control of a holy, good, righteous God. And so now he controls us through his spirit so that when we become slaves of God, the result is his control over us. We live holy, Lives. Not perfect, but truly. Do you see where holiness in the life of a believer comes from? It becomes it comes from the fact because you are a slave of God and He owns you and He controls you and He is good and He is holy and He is righteous, so His slaves under His control are going to live good, holy, righteous lives not perfect, but truly from being slaves of sin. They are set free. They become slaves of God under his control, and so they live a life of holiness. Do you see what it means to be a slave of God? Practically, it means that you are now able to start living a life of holiness. So, is that bondage Is that slavery to God bondage? Is it joyless, a joyless, servile life? No. That slavery to God ensures that you and I, the power of sin is broken in our lives and we are able to live holy lives. A life of joy and a life of peace. The times in my life when I've been happiest have been the times when I've been most holy. The times in my life when I've been most miserable have been when I've come under the power of sin and I've been caught in a sin that's misery. And anybody of you who have come under that know that. Becoming a slave of God results in a life of fruit and holiness. And the fourth blessing, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Everlasting life. Ultimate joy, blessing and peace. We are freed from death. We are freed from the miseries and the suffering of this world. We are freed from cancer. No more tears. No more pain. The ultimate freedom, eternal life, we receive from becoming slaves of God and having our fruit Holiness, not servile bondage at all. I want to just point out look at it in another way from this text. What does it mean to become slaves of God, for God to be your master? He does something unexpected, he gives you a gift. The wages, what did sin do? Gave you wages, eternal death. This master, this good, holy, gracious master gives you a gift. That's his payment. And it is not just any gift. It is a lavish gift. In fact, that gift cost him the life of his son. And it is that gift that he gives to his slaves do you see the goodness and the kindness of god being your master as opposed to sin no master in this world has ever been so kind and generous as our lord god do you know that in the roman world and in the old testament some slaves had good masters and they chose to continue being a slave to that master, because that master had wealth and treated his slaves very well. No master who has ever existed has been so good as the Lord our God. He gives his slaves a lavish gift, and that is eternal life at the cost of his own son. And so we've seen four blessings which come from being a slave of God. The power of sin is canceled in your life. Sin no longer rules over you. You do not receive the wages of sin then, which is eternal death. Instead, being a slave of God, you have power in your life to live and to have fruit to holiness, where before that was impossible, and that holiness brings joy and peace. And then the final blessing is your master gives you a lavish gift of eternal life at the cost of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are drawing near to the end. If your concentration is waning, the demand of this paradox, I said right in the beginning, a paradox always demands something from us. The demand of the paradox We have seen that we are always under a master. We are not autonomous and self-existent. We never were and we never will be. We are created beings and we belong to someone. We are under the rule of someone. Either sin or God. Here is the challenge. The process of becoming a believer... And of escaping the power of sin means that you do, and I do, become a slave of God. You have to trust. When you make a choice to become a Christian, you have to trust that slavery to God is better than slavery to sin. You have to trust that a life of holiness is more pleasurable, is more rewarding, and is more joyful than a life of sin. This paradox demands a choice from us. Are you going to trust Jesus and choose becoming a slave of God instead of being what you are now? slave of sin. People in the world hear the gospel. They consider the claims of Christ and they don't want it. I will not come under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they feel and think that they are free, not aware that they are in bondage to sin. And there awaits them the fearful expectation of the wages of sin, which is eternal death. What about you? This is a demand of the Lord Jesus Christ to trust him. If you are not a Christian, that his loving rule in your life is better than having sin rule over you? Will you trust him and choose to become his servant and receive the gift that is in Christ Jesus and that is eternal life? Will you trust him? The paradoxes in the Bible demand a response. They are counterintuitive to the wisdom of this world slavery in any form is wrong and I won't choose it. Christ calls us to slavery to him and the end eternal life. Will you trust him and believe that that life is far superior to being a slave of sin? And our last heading as we close. The series was entitled paradoxes for spiritual growth, and I want to speak about fighting against sin as we close. Your concentration might have waned a little bit, so just refocus. We're going to be just three or four more minutes, and then we are done. Absolutely vital for Christian growth is how you fight against sin in your life. Perhaps you are a Christian here this morning and you feel defeated by sin. Perhaps as you sit here now, there is a particular sin that has got hold of you. You feel enslaved to it. It seems so strong. You think, I can never overcome it. And you've half given up, fighting against it. And you miserable. You're miserable this morning. Look at this text and what it says. But now, having been set free from sin, the power and rights of sin have been canceled in your life by your new master. You have become slaves of God, which means that you are under God's ownership and under his control, You are no longer controlled by sin. Look at the word that follows. And you have. Not maybe or you might have. Being a slave of God means that you have a definite promise. You have fruit to holiness. Do you see that being set free from sin is not just in the courts of law or it has got to do with practical Christian living because when you are set free from sin and you become slaves of God, you have holiness in your life. You are able to do holiness. Do you believe that in your life? You need to take hold of this promise and when you are fighting with the sin that has got hold of you, Sexual sin, gossip, deceit, and you don't seem to be able to break its power, you have to take hold of this verse and bring it to the Lord as you fight against sin. You will not be perfect, but sin will not have dominion over you. And it is possible for you to live a holy life. And it is possible for you to have victory over a particular sin in your life that seems to be controlling you that is what this verse says I just want to close with a story I shared it with from this pulpit many years ago I was in I grew did my primary school in Freiburg and tennis was my game so in grade 8 when I came to KZN, in fact, Maritzburg, and I did my high school in Maritzburg in grade, what's now grade eight, I played in the Hilton Tennis Tournament. It was my first tournament in KZN, the July holidays. I didn't know any of the local tennis players, right? So I went into the tournament. You go, you know what happens when there's a tournament, you go look on the board to see who you've been drawn against. First round, I was drawn against the second seed who was none other than John T. Rhodes. He was quite an all-rounder. He played cricket, hockey, and tennis at that stage. So it's like, oh no, you know, coming against the second seed in the first round of all things, but anyway, I didn't really know who's this John T. Rhodes Oak. So I went in there, and I played my heart out, and I beat him. 6'4". <laughs> I mean it was quite a surprise, the next day I was walking around and I heard two guys whispering, hey there's the oak that beat John T. Rhodes. Ah, So it was quite a good feeling. I think he stopped tennis after this defeat. (laughs) So I like to think that I was instrumental, instrumental in helping South Africa get one of its most famous cricket players. You can thank me afterwards. Two years later, two years later, the exact same tournament, the Hilton tournament. Now, of course, I knew the players. I got to the semifinals, and I came against a nemesis. This guy was loud. He was arrogant. He had the funding to go to private coaching, and he was quite good. And you know what? I went into that match not thinking I could win. I actually was so intimidated by this guy, I did not think I could win. So sure, I did play hard, but I was not surprised when I started losing because I more or less expected to lose, and I lost. You know, in sport, you might as well not play if you don't expect or don't think that you can win, it just takes the edge of you, you've only got half of the fight, and you might as well not even play. That is going to be your attitude. Look, in your fight against sin, if you think that you cannot beat sin in your life, you've already lost the battle. That verse says the opposite. Having been set free from sin and having become a slave of God, he owns you, he controls you, and he empowers you, you have your fruit to holiness. I'm not saying that we become perfect, but if there is a particular sin that you are battling with on the authority of this verse, It says that you can beat that sin. And yes, you need to get help from people in the church if it's a particularly enslaving sin. You can beat particular sin in your life that seems to be controlling you and defeating you. Don't be like me when I went into that second match thinking that there's just no way. You are no longer a slave of sin. You're a slave of God. And you and I fight against sin knowing that we can beat it by God's grace. And we can live a life of holiness to his glory. Sin will not have dominion over you because you are under a new master. The good and gracious, only true and living God the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your promises. And Lord, for us who are believers, we rejoice that we are your slaves. What an incredible privilege and what a truly wonderful kind, generous master you are for your lavish gift to us of your son so that we might be saved and of the power that you give us to break the power of sin. And I would pray, Lord our God, for anyone here this morning who has come under the power of a particular sin in their life. And I pray that as they trust in you and trust in this promise, you would set them free from the sin. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.